Welcome to Bra Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark, and thank you for listening to this Bible lesson. Why did God create Bra Ministries? This ministry is one of the few places in the world where you can hear the truth that sets you free from mental slavery. One form of slavery is a misperception about who God is, which leads to thinking that the one and only God and ruler of the universe has something against you. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, And the Word, the Lord, God the Son, became flesh as Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, and he lived among us. And we, the apostles who were alive at the time, saw his glory, glory, as of the only begotten one from the source of God the Father, the uniquely born one from the source of God the Father, the God-man, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever, the uniquely born one from the source of God the Father, full of grace and full of truth. The Lord, God the Son, came to earth to seek and save those who are lost, and he loves you unconditionally, and he wants a relationship with you. He loves you unconditionally, and he wants a relationship with you. Not sure you heard me, so I'm going to say it again. He loves you unconditionally, and he wants a relationship with you. So whenever you start thinking of him in the way religion is posing him as a person who's looking to come down on you and condemn you to hell, then you have to defer to what the Bible says. And what the Bible says is he loves you unconditionally, and he wants a relationship with you. Now, at Barah Ministries, we'll introduce you to the Lord so you get to know how he thinks. If you are in a relationship with a human being, one of the things you want to know is how they think because how they think will lead directly to how they act. You'll learn the Word of God here verse by verse, and you'll learn it from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. If you learn it from man's perspective... What man is going to tell you is that you have to work to please God, and that is a lie. What's true is something that you have a hard time accepting, that the Lord did everything, that the Lord saved you and needed no help from you whatsoever, that the Lord sustains you and needs no help from you whatsoever. He is the one who is controlling your breathing And he needs no help from you whatsoever. Your breathing is involuntary. If you held your breath and fainted, you would start breathing again. Why? Because God controls your breathing, see? And we can't accept that. We don't want to accept it that God does everything 
and we don't have to do anything. And that's why legalism is so effective against Christianity, because we want to do things in the spiritual realm like we do things in every other realm. But the spiritual realm is not like any other realm. It's supernatural. It's not natural. And it doesn't need your help. And as a matter of fact, any help you give it is an interference. If you have a vegan recipe and you add an egg to it, guess what just happened? It's not vegan. So the spiritual life is just like that. It doesn't need you to add one single thing to it. And once you do, it perverts it. And that's not what we're trying to do as we teach you the Word of God verse by verse. So it's always best to let God's thinking and God's truth shape your reality. And that's why you come here. You come here because you live in a world that is poisoning you. You come here for the antidote. What's an antidote? Greek words, pharmaton, antidoton. What does it mean? A pharmaceutical that gives you a remedy. So you ingest a poison, what do the doctors want to give you? An antidote. Why? Because the antidote antidote counteracts the antidote. The antidote counteracts the poison. That's why you come here. That's why you study the word of God to counteract the poison that is being put into your system in the world, in Satan's world system. And so how many times should you come to the antidote every single day? What should you be doing with your life? You should be getting all of this into you, the Bible. Get it into you. And let's start with the last 37, uh, last 27 books, the last 27 letters, the New Testament. That is not to say that there's not a lot of value in the Old Testament because there is. But the Old Testament was written to Israel. The New Testament is written to you as church-age believers. And that needs to get into you so that it becomes your frame of reference for operating in the world. And it's something that you have to give time to. You give 50 or 60 hours a week to your career. How much do you give to the spiritual life? Because that's important. So if, 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 if God's word shapes your reality, your reality is going to be dramatically different. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, the apostle Peter tells us how to look at the word of God. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word of God, so that by the word of God, you may grow in respect to your salvation. Your salvation is eternal. If you're a believer in Christ, you are always going to be on the Lord's team, and you're going to be on the Lord's team for all eternity. It behooves you to get to know what you signed up for when you signed up for God's team. Now, this lesson through the miracle of the internet, will be broadcast free of charge to the remotest parts of the earth. And we're confident that the Lord knows how to get his word to the hearers who need it. But God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. The Bible has many functional titles for Satan, and one of them is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says this, Now the salvation and the power... And the kingdom of our God and Father and the authority of his Christ have come. 
for the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down from heaven. That's a future event. That will happen in the middle of the next age, which is called the tribulation. He, he and his demon army will be thrown down from the Supreme Court of Heaven. Appeal denied. Because there's an appeal going on in heaven right now. Satan and the fallen angels were sentenced to the lake of fire and they appealed the sentence. They said, that's not fair. How can a loving God cast one of his creatures into the lake of fire? So Jesus, being the fair person he is, gave them an appeal trial, and they are appealing in the Supreme Court of Heaven. Now, what does that mean for us? One of the things he's doing, Satan is doing in the Supreme Court of Heaven, is accusing the brethren. They're no different from me. We are different. We've placed our confidence in Jesus Christ for salvation. He has not. And the fallen angels did not. So, the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down from heaven. That's a future event. He who accuses believers in Christ before our God, both day and night. Satan loves condemning believers in Christ, but he is completely wasting his time because we are in union with Christ. And when he accuses us, he is also accusing Jesus Christ, the one we're in union with. And that is another waste of time. You can accuse perfection all you want. It's a waste of your time. When you're accusing Jesus, you're accusing perfection. When you're accusing us, you're accusing perfection because at the moment of salvation, God credits his righteousness, his perfection to our account. We, as believers in Christ, are perfect. Why? Because we have God's righteousness. Why? Because he gave it to us. Did you do anything to earn it? No. Did you do anything to deserve it? No. As a matter of fact, every day you try to prove to him as much as you can that he screwed up. But you can't. So that's it. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this. From the moment of salvation, there is no condemnation for those in union with Christ Jesus. And that is every believer in Christ. Let me repeat it because I don't think you heard it. From the moment of salvation, there is no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ Jesus. What does that mean exactly? That means no condemnation, none. Satan knows scripture really well, but he's so arrogant he ignores it. He knows that scripture. As believers in Christ, realize that the Lord does not condemn you So don't let anyone else condemn you. And most importantly, don't condemn yourself. You should write it down sometime. You should just get out a piece of paper and write down how many times during the day you say condemning things to yourself. I'm so stupid. I can't believe I made that mistake. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no, I made another mistake. Yeah, exactly. You mix in a lot of expletives with that, don't you, Deacon Denny? waste of your time. You're doing something to yourself that God doesn't even do. Today's Bible lesson, what is your approach to sharing the gospel message? What is your approach to sharing the gospel message? Do you even know what the gospel message is? (laughs) Hopefully you will at the end of this. So a billionaire in Chicago found out that he was dying 
and decided to give away his fortune in $1 million increments to any person who could make a compelling case for how they would use the money. Well, having nothing to lose and being pretty articulate, I gave it a try. Do you know the greatest thing about that situation? I didn't tell a single person I know about the offer. Nobody. I went and appealed for it myself, but I didn't tell any of my friends. I didn't tell any of my family. Didn't tell anybody. I didn't share it. The same is true for most Christians. Believers in Christ are in a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe. We have the resurrection life, eternal life, which means that when we close our eyes in this life, we're going to be absent from the body and face-to-face with the Lord. And our Lord is willing to save anyone who wants to spend eternity face-to-face with him. And we don't tell anybody about it. Not even the people closest to us. We don't share the good news about the Lord's salvation offer, the gospel message, with anybody, but especially not with people who are closest to us. Why? I don't care why. That's as ridiculous as me not telling people that a billionaire was giving away a million dollars and if they could make a case, they could have some money. It's ridiculous. In today's lesson, our passage from Colossians chapter 4 focuses on evangelism. All right, let's hear some music. Because there is only one way to get to heaven, and that is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, many critics of Christianity say that we're an exclusive and snooty club and not at all an inclusive club. All right, well, there's one word in the Bible that makes that accusation an absolute lie. And here's June Murphy to sing the word in her song, Whosoever. Salvation's road 
know, now that June's not here, the thing I miss, one of the things I miss most is, thank you, June, being able to say that. So, But I'll say it anyway because I know she's listening on live stream. Thank you, June. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for providing us with a so great salvation because we have placed our faith in your Son, our Lord Jesus, the Christ, to save us. Thank you for allowing us to spread the good news about this salvation offered to the ends of the earth. Thank you that no matter how bad we are, you want a relationship with us, and it proves how different you are from the members of the human race. As we learn about evangelism today, take the mystery out of it. Help us to see the value of it, and especially help us to take the good news to the people that are most important to us, despite their resistance. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, what is your approach to sharing the gospel message? What is your approach to sharing the gospel message? Well, the passage under study in Paul's final chapter to the first century Colossian believers is a short and power-packed passage that last week provided us a lesson on prayer, and this week it provides us a lesson on evangelism. Now, if I had hair, I would pull it out. Because I asked somebody this week what Colossians was about, 16 lessons in, now this is the 16th lesson, and this person told me that it was about love. Colossians is not about love. So I want you to write this down so you aren't confused. Colossians is about false teachers and false teaching. Could you write that down, please? This is Paul's letter to a church just like Barah Ministries, a small church who had a bunch of people in it who were physically alive and spiritually dead, who then heard the gospel message, the good news concerning a salvation offer to spiritually dead people so they could be spiritually alive, This group of people accepted that offer, and now they are believers in Christ, Christians, who cannot lose their salvation under any circumstance and are going to heaven. And as soon as their home-based church was established, and two other churches in Laodicea and Oropolis were established, the false teachers come in and say, Oh, you know, that that Paul, I mean, good guy and everything. Yeah, you got to believe in Christ, but you need to go backwards into Judaism, and if you're a man, you need to be circumcised to be saved, and and you need to keep the law, and you, you need to have all these traditions and rituals and rules in addition to believing in Christ as a condition of being saved. That's what the false teachers were teaching. Now, how does that apply to you? It applies to you because there are false teachers teaching you false things here. And I, I'm going to spend either one week or two weeks, the next couple of weeks, just pointing out some of the things that are going on in the world that are false teachers teaching false things. Whenever you watch the news, you're watching false teachers teach false things. They are taking 1% of life and then passing it off to you through a powerful medium that makes you believe that, all those bad things that are happening on the news are going to happen to you. But the same thing is true. There are 12 stories, and they just keep recycling new versions of the same 12 stories. Coffee has been proven really bad for your health. The next week, 
Coffee has been proven really good for your health. The next week, coffee's going to kill you. And now you're sitting there going, well, should I drink coffee or should I not drink coffee? That's what it's designed to do. It's designed to confuse you. We don't want to be confused as human beings. We want to be crystal clear. Be crystal clear on one thing. So, so every week I teach the gospel message. What's the gospel message? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There are people who sit right here and hear me say that every week. And then I'll ask them, hey, how do you get to heaven? Believe in God. That's not what Acts 16.31 says. It does not say believe in God. It says believe in Jesus Christ. And what does that mean exactly? It doesn't mean what the demons do. It doesn't mean what the false angels do. The false angels believe in Christ. They believe he exists. They just haven't put their confidence in him for their salvation. They believe he exists and they shudder. They don't believe in him for salvation. So when we talk about there being a narrow road that leads to life, there's precision. And when you sit in front of me and you, when you listen to these lessons, I don't want you to be confused. You know why? Because I'm a clarity freak. I want you to absolutely know and to be able to articulate exactly what it takes to get to heaven. Because that's important to me as a teacher that you as a student are hearing what's being said here and are applying it to your life. And there are false teachers in your life who are teaching you false things. People telling you that, oh, if you just give me $5,000, you can be on a marriage track in a year. On what planet? On planet BS... And we buy it. Oh, if you just live with somebody, you know, you're practicing marriage. No, you're not practicing marriage if you live with somebody. No, you're not. You know what you're practicing? Stupidity. Because people who live together before they get married are 38% more likely to divorce. You're practicing stupidity. And the two are two flesh in that house. The two aren't one flesh. Satan isn't attacking people who live together. He attacks unity. When you get married, everybody who's ever lived together and then has a marriage ceremony where the two become one flesh, they all say the same things. Man, everything changed when we got married. Why? Because the two became one flesh and Satan attacks one flesh. But see, the false teachers in the world are teaching you there's something different. Every time you watch a TV program, you see a man kiss a man. You see that enough, you think, well, that's normal. No, it's not. According to the Bible. So don't attack me because I told you what's in the book because I didn't write the book. The Lord wrote the book, and he hasn't changed one thing that's in that publication. He's protected that publication from infiltration, hasn't changed one single thing in it. So just because we have free will, free choice, and we can make choices for ourselves, that does not mean that God changed anything. So you want to argue about what I just said? Talk to God. Don't talk to me. 
And especially don't talk to me face-to-face because you might get punched. Because I don't want to hear that noise. You don't get an opinion and I don't get an opinion. I get a viewpoint, you get a viewpoint. My viewpoint is based on what's in Scripture. Because I believe my God. See, my God is a person. I have a lot of people that I love that I never see. I've got a favorite cousin in Chicago, Harold. I see him once a year, once every two years. But growing up, he was my main man. I called him the other day, and I wanted to say something perverted to a person, and I just thought, if I call Harold and say this perverted thing, he'll just love it. And we had a good conversation. And he and I are in a competition to live the longest that anybody has lived in our family. His mom now holds that record. She died when she was 99 in a few months. And when she died, the first thing I did is I called him and I said, I'm blowing her record out. And he laughed. You know, that's not what you should say to somebody whose mom just died, right? But I told him, I'm blowing her record out. And he said, no, you're not. No, you're not. I'm going to blow it out, and I will be speaking at your funeral. I said, yeah, no, you won't. And that's, that's the kind of relationship I have. But I virtually never see him. Well, I have a relationship with another person that I never see and I've never met, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is a person to me. And the word of God is something that he gave me so that I can get to know him. And I can know how he thinks. And I can know what he wants me to do. And I'm not listening to men. I'm not listening to these false teachers who are telling us all this crap about how life should go, and then when you do exactly what they say, life does not go that way. Amen? We are here for supernatural reasons. We're not here just listening to another podcast. And when I write you notes, it's not a blog. These are things that you need to get into your soul so that you have an antidote for the poison that's being spewed all over you all week. So, this lesson in Colossians. What's Colossians for again, by the way? What's, what's Colossians teaching? False teachers and false teaching. That's right. So, we're... <laughs> yeah. Denny does that. Oh, thanks. The, the heart. Hard hands. So look, every book in the Bible is addressing a problem in the church. This book is addressing false teachers and false teaching. The next book we're going to study is Philemon. That's real short. That addresses forgiveness. And then after that, we're going to study Galatians. And that addresses legalism, which is a bunch of Christians who bought what was being sold. See, the Colossians didn't buy what was being sold. Paul was warning them. The Galatians bought it hook, line, and sinker, that they had to add things to salvation to be saved. So that's what we're going to be studying over the next two times. All right, let's get to the passage. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6, power-packed. What does it have to say? Colossians 4, 2. This is what we studied last week. Keep on devoting yourself to prayer. Continuous action. In other words, Christians, get a prayer life because prayer is supernatural. 
And it's a way for you to bring supernatural things to yourself, to others, and to your enemy. Keep on being vigilant in prayer. As you're praying, listen to what God the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches and to you. With an attitude of thanksgiving. Gratitude is your attitude in everything. Whether it is the painful things in your life or the other things in your life, the wonderful things in your life. An attitude of gratitude. I got a big lesson on that this weekend. Be grateful for the pain. Colossians 4.3, praying at the same time for us as well. Paul talking about himself and all of his fellow prisoners in Rome where he was writing this letter from. That God will open up for us a door for the word, specifically the word as the gospel message, which is the word to unbelievers, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, because of which mystery I have been in prison. Paul was doing fine talking to the Jews in Jerusalem until he mentioned that the plan of God was good for the Gentiles too. All of you who are listening to this message, or at least most of you listening to this message, are Gentiles. Gentiles were vermin. Gentiles were scum. And until Paul mentioned that his message was going to the Gentile and he was the apostle to the Gentiles, he was good. As soon as he said that, they put him in jail. Colossians 4.4, 4, that I may make, cl- make it clear about the case of which I ought to speak, the case of the gospel message. Colossians 4.5, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. That's a reference to unbelievers. Making the most of the opportunity, the opportunity being God's open doors. Colossians 4, 6, and let your speaking always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should speak to each person. Now, seasoned with salt is a metaphor, obviously, because you can't, as you're speaking, take a salt shaker and shake it onto your tongue so that you're speaking with salt. That's not what's being referenced there. So today we're going to find out what that reference is all about. So to begin, we see the prayer connection between verse 2 and the rest of the passage. We're praying for Paul and we're praying for each other as God provides us with chances to evangelize. And we are grateful that God allows us to spread his good news. Now, Christianity has a vocabulary. All thinking requires vocabulary. One of the reasons that I cannot speak Spanish is because I don't have enough vocabulary to speak Spanish. I can't think in Spanish. But we have people in our congregation who can think in Spanish and who can think in English and who have enough vocabulary to do so. So Christianity has a vocabulary. Here's one of those vocabulary words. What is evangelism? It's also called witnessing. Evangelism is sharing true and accurate good news about the Lord Jesus Christ's salvation offer, the gospel message. That's what gospel means. Good news. And you share it either in a public forum like I do every week, in a personal conversation, or through literature, handing out books, tracts, they're called. What evangelism does is it lets people know that they can have eternal life by spending their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who will accomplish their salvation. That's what evangelism is. Now, there is a spiritual gift called evangelism. 
And there are people who specialize in that. And they have been gifted to do it. But all Christians are responsible for evangelism. So today I'm going to share some things that you should remember about evangelism. All right, the first thing is, if you have unconditional love for other human beings, you will evangelize. Why? Because you would never want anyone to go to the lake of fire for all eternity. I've had people bring their parents to Barah Ministries. And afterward, I asked the parents, how do you get to heaven? I say, parents, pay attention, because here's how you get to heaven. And the parents, uh, they started listening. And then I asked them at the end, how do you get to heaven? Huh? Okay, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with it because we don't necessarily hear, we don't necessarily have a message stick just because we heard it one time. We don't. So I'm good with it. Here's what I'm not good with. I'm not good with it if you understand that and you don't wear your parents out about what it takes to get to heaven. Now, why wouldn't we? Oh, they didn't like it. Who cares? Do you think that I thought for one second, I evangelize to my kids practically every day. Do you think I thought for one second, I really wonder if they like this or not. I didn't care. All I cared about was that they would get to heaven. That's it. There are people in our periphery that we love. and We don't say a word to them about this. And I will tell you this. That is not right. I will tell you, you can't genuinely say, that you really care about somebody and you really love them, if you don't care enough as a believer in Christ to wear them out about what it takes to get to heaven. And there's a great story about a lady who keeps badgering a judge in the Bible. And finally the judge says, you know what? I'm going to rule in her favor because she just keeps, if I don't, she's just going to keep on badgering me. That's God's attitude toward you when you pray. He wants you to just keep on badgering him. That should be your attitude in evangelism, that you keep on badgering the people you love to make sure, you know, my kids would get to the point where I'd say, hey, how do you get to heaven? Ah, Dad, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He who believes in the Son has the eternal life right at that moment. He doesn't believe shall not see eternal life, the lake of fire abides on him. Come on, Dad. Good. You don't like it? I'm going to ask you again tomorrow. I'm wearing you out because you matter to me. Heaven wouldn't be the same without you. I've since changed my opinion about that, but that's another matter that we can go into (laughs) at another time. But it's a heartbreaking thought for me that people I love are committed to being unbelievers. God provides to them, though. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says this, We believers in Christ are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? Somebody who represents their sovereign in a foreign kingdom. I represent my sovereign, Jesus Christ, in the foreign kingdom of planet Earth, Satan's kingdom. We believers in Christ are ambassadors for Christ, and so God the Father were appealing to unbelievers through us because he is. And we beg you, unbelievers, 
on behalf of the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, be reconciled to God the Father. As ambassadors, we represent the Lord in Satan's kingdom. And it is our right and it is our responsibility to share with people what the Lord has done for us and what the Lord has done for them, whether they know it or not. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, the Lord gave believers what is called the Great Commission. He says this, And Jesus came up and spoke to his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me by God the Father in heaven and on earth. What does that mean? I'm the boss. Matthew 28, 19. And so now a command, go. Imperative mood in the Greek, go. And make disciples of all the nations. What is all the nations a reference to? To the Gentiles now. We got the Jews covered. Now go to the Gentiles. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, not getting dunked in water. Baptizing them by giving them the gospel message in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all that I, the Lord Jesus Christ, command. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Why would God want us to do all he commands? Because everything he commands is perfect, and it's going to work out for you. Most Christians are scared to death to share the good news about Jesus Christ with others, so they refuse to do it. Why? Okay, well, let's give you a reason. The, The greatest fear of human beings is speaking in public. Why? Because you're introverted and you don't take the social initiative. Okay, great. You have great excuses for it. But just as I refuse to share the good news about the billionaire's offer, it's pretty selfish to keep good news to yourself, especially when you keep it from those that you love. And you can change this. You're talking to your kids about it and they're teenagers. Oh, mom, that's whack. Mom, why are you always talking about religion? Mom, why are you always wearing me out? Translation, when you get to the teen years, why are you giving me any input? I know everything. Okay, well, if you know everything, then get out of the house and get your own house. Get a job. Pay for yourself then, if you're so smart. Oh, no, I don't want to do that part. I just don't want to listen to you. Yeah, good luck with that. Another thing to remember about evangelism, item two, God will open doors to put you in a position to evangelize. God will open doors to put you in a position to evangelize. Even though it's a great idea, you don't have to initiate an active campaign to evangelize. It's a good idea to do that, but you don't have to because God will provide you with many opportunities in your lifetime to spread the good news. Let's look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4. It says, keep on devoting yourselves to prayer. Keep on being vigilant in prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving, Colossians 4, 3. Praying at the same time for us as well. Paul referring to himself and to those who are with him in the Roman prison, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ because of which mystery I have been in prison. I was talking about the Gentiles, so I got put in jail that I may make it clear about the case of which I ought to speak, which is the gospel message. Well, what does one of God's open doors look like? Well, here's what the Lord said to the church at Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. We'll use the Weiss translation. It says, I know with absolute clarity your deeds. 
people in the church at Philadelphia. Philadelphia was Turkey. It's not Pennsylvania. Behold, I have given you as a permanent possession an open door which is permanently opened and no one can close because you have but a small amount of power and you have safeguarded my word by observing it and you did not deny my name. I met Denise about, I met her in 2009, I think, Denise Jones. And I was sweating about an implementation that I had at her company because the CEO stopped the implementation four sessions in and fired 40%, 42% of the people who were in the session, as he had promised to do in the first session. And I was thinking, oh, man, what if he doesn't start up again, you know? Christmas is coming, and I got to buy G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip for my kids, you know? What if he doesn't start up again? And I was kind of whining about it to Denise, and Denise looked at me with her Pentecostal bent. She waved her hands over her head back and forth. She sang some song that I've never heard. And then... And, and then she said, you know what? When God opens the door, nobody can shut it. Amen? Yeah, and look at the translation, how it really reads. It really reads, I have given you as a permanent possession an open door, which is permanently open, and no one can shut it. And I bet you her Pentecostal pastors didn't teach you that. Amen? <laughs> The rest of the story was that I ended up with a $3 million implementation. That's the rest of the story. And I'm still in shock about that. Well, the church in Philadelphia had the vision to evangelize to a lost world, and the Lord opened a permanent door for them to do it, even though they had very little power. See, is that's how God works. You got little power, he pours power into you. Do you get it? Or are you trying to do everything with your little power? An open door can be five or ten minutes in a car with someone you know who is an unbeliever where you begin to find out about their spiritual life. And it can start with a question. Recently, I asked a friend, what is your spiritual life like? And when you ask a question like that, you don't know what kind of an answer will come from the question, so you just need to listen. And the thing that's so funny about it is when you do that about 20 times, all the things that come out of their mouth are the same things that come out of every single mouth, stuff that they have adopted that the world has said, well, I'm the kind of person who, you know, basically I'm a good person. No, you're not. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not even one. But you just listen. And it's always fun to hear the answer. But if you're more worried about how you sound or what you're going to say than what they're saying, you're going to miss what the opportunity is to evangelize to them. And a big evangelism problem is your ego. Things to remember about evangelism number three. Evangelism is best done in your personality and in your style. So that means you do not have to take the Dale Carnegie course in effective speaking and human relations to evangelize to people. God doesn't require you to do things that you can't do or things that you don't want to do. So all of you introverts 
who see yourselves as people who are not very articulate. You can figure out in your own personality and, and your own style how you can share the gospel message with people. Maybe it's just you hand them a brochure. Maybe it's you just help them download the app and take them to a specific place. Or maybe you give them the newsletter. Every week we have the gospel message in there and tell them just click on this and listen for 10 minutes. So God wants you to do it in your style. So this third item ought to take some pressure off of you because God, the Holy Spirit is the chief executive officer of evangelism. According to the Lord, John chapter 16 verses seven to 11 say this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ tell you the truth. He's talking to his disciples in the upper room the night before he was crucified. It's to your advantage that I go away back up to heaven because if I don't go away, the paraclete, God the Holy Spirit will not come to you. What's a paraclete? A paraclete is somebody who is powerful and assists you when you're powerless. It's like when you go get a, a, a lawyer to defend you in a lawsuit. You're, the, there's an old saying in the legal profession, if uh, the person who defends himself in a lawsuit has a fool for a client, right? So you would never do that. You go get a professional to defend you. But Jesus continues, he says, if I go, and I am, I will send God the Holy Spirit to you. John 16, 8. God the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. One of my pet peeves is when believers in Christ start talking about how God is convicting them. Convicting is a ministry of God to unbelievers. It is not a ministry of God to believers in Christ. John 16, 9, concerning sin because some don't believe in me. That's the people who are physically alive and spiritually dead, unbelievers. John 16, 10, and concerning righteousness, the admission ticket to heaven because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And what he's saying here is just because I'm gone doesn't mean you still can't get righteousness. And John 16, 11, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged already. Satan is guilty. Satan has been sentenced to the lake of fire. Satan is appealing it, and the appeal is going to be denied because he will not successfully make his case. Well, the same thing is true for every person who is born on this earth. All of us will go before Jesus Christ for a judgment. Believers in Christ will go to the Bema Seat judgment. That's the place where rewards are handed out. Unbelievers will go to the great white throne judgment. That's where a reward that you never want is handed out, the lake of fire. Step to the left, take the elevator, press down. So God the Holy Spirit is responsible to make sure every creature who comes to earth has multiple opportunities to hear the gospel message in their lifetime. Multiple opportunities to accept the gospel message. Multiple opportunities to reject the gospel message. God the Holy Spirit uses people like you and me to get the gospel message to people. Things to remember about evangelism point four. The gospel message is not based on your beliefs. It's based on the truth of the word of God. So what are the truths from the word of God that you need to be able to communicate? Romans 5 Verse 8, God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind, and that while we were yet sinners, 
while we were unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, Christ died a sacrificial death for us. John chapter 3, verse 16. God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him will never perish but has eternal life. John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. John 14, 6. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God, and I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins, according to the Old Testament scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the Old Testament scriptures. When you think about it, these truths are easily committed to memory, and so often, as often as you hear these verses, there's no excuse not to commit them to memory. And what I hear from people all the time is, oh, well, my memory's not good and I can't remember Bible verses. B.S. When I use my own words to evangelize, most people say, that's your opinion. When I quote Bible verses, I get silence. They ain't got nothing to say. God the Holy Spirit makes the truth of these verses penetrate to the very core of the souls of hearers. He may not do that with my opinions. And they have no choice but to accept or reject the message. When we return from a much-needed break, (laughs) damn, is he ever going to stop talking? We'll take the offering, and then we'll hear a few more things to remember about evangelism. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, with all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell you. Brought a rock to a sword fight. You picked 12 outsiders, nobody would have chosen, and you changed the world. Well, the moral of the story is everybody's got a purpose. So when I hear that devil start talking to me, saying, Who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a Save my soul. 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, what is your approach to sharing the gospel message? What is your approach to sharing the gospel message? Well, God is always encouraging generosity. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 says this, The generous person will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Be generous so that those you help with your contributions may receive the gospel message implanted, And let the word of God sprout from within them the seeds nourished by God. And let the word give them the strength to put one foot in front of the other during times of spiritual turmoil, especially our brothers and sisters in the persecuted churches around the world. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages.
Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon at Broad Ministries. I'm blessed because this small worldwide, this small church with world. Let me start over. This small Christian church with worldwide impact follows the Word of God. We don't follow false teachers. We listen to the truth. And last week, we heard that we should make a habit to pray or make a habit to have prayer in our life. And I wish I'd heard that message 20 years ago because I used to rebound. I used to name and cite my sins from 1 John 1, 9 habitually throughout the day, focusing on my sins, not focusing on Christ, not focusing on the fact that God wants me to pray and talk to him, meaning that God is right there waiting all the time waiting to have a conversation with us, waiting to have a conversation with everyone. And that makes me think, really makes me think about the fact of God's, his essence of the fact that he's omnipresent. He's with us every time, everywhere we are, behind us, in front of us. He's with us in all things. He's in plants, he's in people, he's in buildings. Like he holds everything together by, the, by his power. So really when you're engaging prayer, you're engaging everything around you, everything. And so you're connecting directly with God. You're correct, connecting directly, I believe, with that person that you're praying for, that thing you're praying about. And that omnipresence is just something that really holds me together every day. Because you think about it, in our good times, he's right there with us. But we don't think about it. He's given us that good time. He's allowed it to happen. And we don't really focus on it. But then we have a grueling time. You have some hard times. What's the first thing you do? God, oh, you come to God. You come, Please help me. Please help me. You start focusing on God at that point, and he's right there with you, both in good times and bad times. And He's with us here as we're giving because he knows what you spent your time on this week. He knows where you put your money. He knows what you're spending your money. He knows what you're thinking right now, how much you're going to give. And so I, th- I think it's awesome that God's omnipresence is there for us, and I think it's awesome that we have a church like this that shows us the word of God and is counteracting the false teachers. We don't listen to CNN. We don't listen to CN- CNNBC or Fox News and all that and get wrapped up in it because we know that's just, we know that fear is a liar and we know that the, the news is a liar and we know that Barah Ministries and the Lord Jesus Christ is telling us the truth. And so let me close with seeing what the Word of God has to tell us and what we're supposed to do as a church. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, a command from God and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have commanded have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. See, God is omnipresent. I am with you always, even to the end of age. So we see right there, you're helping us at the offering to go and, and make disciples. You're helping us to show, teach people the commandments of God and to counteract the lies. And so thank you for doing that, and we appreciate it because it's actually allowed us to grow as a church even though we feel like we're just staying in one place. We have certainly grown. We've changed, and we're making more of an impact now. And I think we might trivialize that we're small, but we have a huge impact. And if it's just one person that gets, comes to the knowledge of Christ, that's all, that's, that's all it takes. And so we, we appreciate your giving. And uh, one update, we... We did track down the person who put the envelope, the empty envelope in the, in the, the uh, basket. We gave it to the Mesa PD. They fingerprinted it. We found out who it was. <laughs> we didn't waste any money. It was all free of charge. <laughs> and it was Harmony. So we'll, we'll have a talk with you later, Harmony. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
No, but thank you for always giving, and thank you for helping us support the Word of God, because that's ultimately the first thing and the only thing that we should focus on every day. So thank you very much. Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, what is your approach to sharing the gospel message? What is your approach to sharing the gospel message? Thanks for that great uh, offering message, Deacon Denny. And unfortunately, I was one of those false teachers teaching that false teaching about rebound for years. And luckily, I had the gospel message right. But the, the sanctification message was off. You know, 29 years in systematic theology, which was just wrong, and 21 years in Roman Catholicism, which was just wrong. It was a long journey to get to the truth. And, you know, better late than never in God's plan because time doesn't matter to God. All right, so <coughs> why Christians have such a tough time with evangelism? Well, many reasons. One, is thinking the salvation of the lost world depends on them. It doesn't. John chapter 15, verse 5 reminds us of this. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, am the vine, and you believers in Christ are the branches. And he who abides in me, and I indwelling him, bears much fruit. We're in union with Christ. And bears much fruit is the fruit of God the Holy Spirit. So who produces the fruit? God the Holy Spirit does. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control is the fruit of the Spirit that is produced by God, not by you. And apart from me, you can do nothing. What does that mean for evangelism? It means nothing happens apart from our union with Christ. You don't have to worry that you're evangelizing on your own and in your own power. Because God is with us every step of the way as we tell people about him. Now back to the passage, Colossians chapter 4, verses 4, 
uh, verses 2 to 4. Keep on devoting yourselves to prayer. Keep on being vigilant in prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word, specifically the gospel message, a door no one can shut, so that we may speak forth the mystery of the Christ, because of which mystery I, Paul, have been imprisoned. So we pray for opportunities to evangelize. We pray for clarity as we speak. We pray to make clear the mystery of Christ indwelling us as believers in Christ, which gives us absolute confidence that in the future we will be glorified. So remember, a mystery in the Bible is something not revealed to previous generations of believers until the Lord was ready to do so. And the mystery of the church age is this, Christ indwelling you, God the Father indwelling you, God the Holy Spirit indwelling you, the entire Trinity indwelling you. Now the final two verses of this passage, Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. How do we treat those to whom we evangelize? How do we treat those to whom we share the good news? Colossians 4, 4, 5. Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity as God opens doors. The Greek word, make the most of the opportunity, is redeem. What does that mean? Purchase from slavery the time, which means in this case, select the right time to evangelize. This is a command from God to be wise with unbelievers who are described as outsiders. Colossians 4, 6. Let the words... Always be spoken with grace as though seasoned with salt. And what does that mean? What does salt make you? It makes you thirsty. And what we want to do is make sure that our speech makes them thirsty, makes unbelievers thirsty for the gospel message so that you will know how you should speak to each person. Now, here's the thing. And if people know this about me, then they know a lot about me. Graceful speech isn't always sweet speech at the expense of the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth. This is one of the things that I get castigated for in my other career in the classroom. I tell people the truth and they don't want to hear it. You know, like I tell, you know, women in business, uh, they get this sing-songy thing when they're talking because they're trying to be cutesy. Okay, so perfect. Okay, so we're going to go and we're going to take you to the... And we're going to do this, and they're singing to me. And then they're scratching their head, wondering why men don't take them seriously. That's why men don't take them seriously. Because they're acting like little girls who are playing with their hair and being cutesy. Now, when I tell people that in my consulting career, I get a call from HR. Uh, You can't say those things. Why? I love women. I love women. I want women to know how to act. In a business setting, why can't I tell them that? Or when I tell guys, you need to get a manicure and a pedicure. You don't need to have hooks on your feet and hooks on your hand and dirty fingernails. Uh, You can't be talking to people about their clothing. Don't wear logo clothes. Oh, you can't be talking to people about that. Well, what can I talk to people about? Nothing meaningful, right? You just give me a big check and I talk to you about everything that's not meaningful. Okay. All right, so you get on your Zoom call in your little fake pajamas, 
and think that people don't know that you have no clothes on underneath the desk. Yeah, you go ahead. Be unprofessional. Because that's what most people have just completely become unprofessional and think they don't have to dress up. They think that people have changed their mores about whether they trust you or not based on what you're wearing. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't have graceful sp- I-, I have graceful speech, but I'm not always sweet. Grace deals with the harsh realities of life with sensitivity. Grace delivers the right words to unbelievers at the right time. What's the right time? Often is when people are on their backs looking up. They're hooked on drugs. They're hooked on alcohol. They grew up in a cult. I went on a sales call with a salesperson at one of my clients down to Florida. And when we were on our, on our way home, our plane got delayed six hours. And so we went and sat and had a cup of coffee, had some lunch. And I asked him that magic question, what's your spiritual life like? And he told me that he grew up in a cult and he didn't want to hear anything about God or religion. (laughs) You can't say that to me. Six hours later, he was a believer in Christ. It took six hours to debunk all of that crap that he had learned in the cult. He, he writes me notes to this day and says, I can't believe that in six hours you got me straightened about, out about Jesus Christ. When people are getting divorced, that's a good time to be talking to them about the Lord. They're hurting. People have been betrayed, lonely people, people who just got fired. There are a lot of different on-your-back situations that make evangelism the perfect time. Health problems. More things to remember about evangelism. The fifth point, evangelism is not a contentious interaction. It is not your chance to deliver bad news and frustration. It's good news, so don't argue. I had some Jewish friends of mine call me because they knew I was a Christian, they knew I was a pastor, and they have a Christian friend. And she was so frustrated, she told them, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. And they called me and said, could we talk about this? Yeah, absolutely we can talk about it. But you can believe that when I was talking to him about it, I didn't talk to him about it like, yeah, she was right. All right, she was right, but that's not the good news. The good news is you're Jewish. You are the chosen race of people, and you are from the chosen nation, Israel. And the good news is that Jesus Christ, in his pre-incarnate form, promised the Jewish father, the father of the Jewish race, Abraham, Five things that will absolutely come to pass. And it has been the sole purpose of Satan to wipe out the Jewish race. He has never been able to do it, and he never will be able to do it. That's what the Holocaust was about. Couldn't get it done. He's going to try it again in the future. He will not be able to get it done because just when he's about to be successful, there will be the second coming of Christ to save the Jews. So being Jewish is amazing, but you can be Jewish and Christian just like Abraham. They're shocked. Shocked about it. Never thought about it. 
Why didn't you think about it? Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. There were 109 things that pointed to what the Jewish Messiah would be like, and all the Pharisees knew it, and the whole Jewish race knows it. They just ignore it and prefer rituals and traditions of men and celebrations and Sabbaths. That's not the point. The point is the person. The person is the Jewish Messiah. That's Jesus, the Christ. Revelation chapter 22, verse 15 says this, outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Perfect description, not of unbelievers, but of the unbelieving lifestyle. Because if you look at that, believers do a lot of that stuff too. But that is not our lifestyle. We're on Jesus Christ's team. So the Bible describes unbelievers as outsiders. And they're outsiders because they choose not to be on God's team. But the Lord asks us to invite unbelievers to come from the outside to the inside. Jesus wants everyone in his locker room. So how can you make a difference evangelizing to your unbelieving friends? Another thing to remember is the message has to be custom made for each person. And if you're going to custom make a message, you have to listen first before talking. It also requires preparation. If you want to evangelize to somebody, those verses that I told you about earlier just before the break, memorize them. And then you can just give those verses. Let me just give you some things that the Bible says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. God the Father loved the world unconditionally and loved it so much that he gave his uniquely born son, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. Romans 5.8 says, God the Father loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son that whosoever believes in him... No, that's not it. It's um, while we were yet sinners, Christ died as a sacrificial substitute for us, right? Just let them rip. So, requires preparation. Here's the Apostle Paul's approach to evangelism, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse, verses 19 and following. Though I am a free man, free from bondage to all men as a believer in Christ. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. I have made myself a slave to all men so that I may win more men for Christ. 1 Corinthians 9.20 To the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might win Jews for Christ. He is a Jew. The first place that, Paul, even though Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, when he went to a new area, where was the first place he went? To the synagogue. He went to Jews because he's Jewish. To those who are under the Mosaic law, I acted as if I'm under the Mosaic law, even though I'm not under the Mosaic law, so that I might win those who are under the Mosaic law. 1 Corinthians 9.21, to those who are outside the law, Gentiles, I became as one of those outside the law, even though I'm not without the law of God. I am under the law of Christ, unconditional love so that I might win those who are outside the law, unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 9.22, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. 
I have become all things to all men, so that in all circumstances I may by, by all means save some of them. What is he saying? 1 Corinthians 9.23 I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may have the benefits of the gospel for myself as well. What's he saying? The gospel message is a testament to God's unconditional love for the human race. And Paul says, I'm going to custom make the message for everybody. I'm going to adjust myself based on the person I'm talking to. As believers in Christ, we need to always be ready. You're going to put me back up. As believers in Christ, we need to always be ready to share the gospel's truth. 1 Peter chapter 3 Verse 15 says this, Sanctify the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, as Lord in your hearts. Set God aside in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. I remember, uh, it was probably four years ago, I had to have a biopsy to determine whether I had cancer or not. And you know what my attitude was? If I have it, I have it. Not a surprise to God. So let's just go see. And when I got the phone call that I didn't have it, it wouldn't have mattered one way or the other. God's got me. See, that's what Christianity means to me. I have just total confidence and total faith in anything the Lord drops in my lap. And that does not mean that I like everything he drops in my lap. But I know that Romans 8.28 is accurate. He works all things together for good for those who love him, and I love him, as do all believers in Christ. So in the matter of evangelism, what we need to really understand is that God creates the receptivity. You prepare in advance, and then you're ready to provide the message. Now, can we evangelize all the time? The Lord says no. Seventh point, know when evangelism is pointless. Sometimes evangelism is pointless, and it's really painful when it's pointless to the people that we love the most. You have to know when to press and when to pull back. And these are the times when evangelism can't work. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, the Lord says, Don't give what is holy to dogs, and don't throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. There are just some times when you start evangelizing to somebody. I have one friend, dear friend and client, and his parents shoved religion down his throat as a kid. And I was sharing the gospel message with him. And he said, Rory, I'm going to tell you this only once. Don't ever talk to me about God. And he had this look on his face. It was absolutely crystal clear that I was never going to talk to him about God. And that it pains my heart so deeply that that's the case. But he made it clear. I don't want to hear it. So I'm not talking. You got to know when to press and when to pull back. Since no one is guaranteed to be alive five minutes from now, evangelism is something to do now. But you need to have some guidelines for it. Now, who are the people you love who need to hear the gospel message? 
my, my cousin Harold, I wear him out. Every time I see him, I say, how do you get to heaven? And he says, haven't we been over this? I said, if you don't tell me, I'm going to punch you in the face. He said, believe in Jesus Christ. I said, do you believe in Jesus Christ? He says, yeah. I said, do you believe in the Jesus Christ of the Bible or the Jesus Christ of Roman Catholicism? He said, he called me, he calls me Joey. That's what my nickname was when I was a kid. She said, Joey, we've been over this. I said, tell me. I wear him out. Because he's important to me. Who are the people that you love that need to hear the gospel message? Who are the people you despise who need to hear the gospel message? Well, here's what we ask for from the Lord. We ask for an open door for the word. We ask him to help us tell people about the mystery of Christ. We ask him to help us be clear when we're speaking. We ask him to help us welcome outsiders to the inside. We ask him to let us speak gracefully, as if seasoned with salt, make them thirsty. And we ask that he make unbelievers thirsty for the truth. The passage of study today is a great passage from the Apostle Paul to the church members in the first century Colossae, first century Colossian church. And what was he addressing? False teachers and false teaching, warning them. As false teachers seek to penetrate the church with false teaching, Paul reminds them of the power of prayer and the power of evangelism. So let's value Paul's message in our own lives because he is still speaking to us today. The closing moments of today's lesson are dedicated to anyone anywhere who either is undecided or confused about having a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what does God want from you? He wants you to make the most important decision of your life. The Savior of the whole world is Jesus Christ, and he wants everyone to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say this, This is what is good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who desires all men to be saved and who wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, here are seven things for every unbeliever to consider when investigating a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thing one, there is a God and he is a cre- the creator of, of the heavens and the earth. The first four words of the Bible confirm his existence. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God. What a punch in the face to everybody who says there is no God. This is a reference to Jehovah Elohim, God the Son. And the Lord isn't at all shy about telling you who he is. Joel chapter 2, verse 27 says this, I am the Lord your God, and there is no other God. And all my Hindu friends who think there are 8,000 gods need to sit up and take note. God the Son is the creator. John chapter 1 verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Point two, the creator created you. You're one of God's creatures, and he had a purpose in mind when he created you. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says this, Then God the Father said, let us, 
That's something that frustrates my Jewish friends because it's plural. Let us, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, make man in our image according to our likeness. You are a spiritual being, and as such, you require a spiritual life. Point three, God has a plan for all mankind. God is organized. Acts chapter 2, verse 23 tells us that the earth and the universe were created by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God the Father. God made all of his decisions in eternity past, and we watch them unfold every day. And his plan is designed for your benefit. Point four, God has a personal plan for you. Because God created you, God knows you intimately. He knows you by name, and he knows you better than you know yourself. Matthew chapter 10, verse 30 says this. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. God custom-made you, and he custom-made a life designed specifically for you. Point five, God reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. And if he didn't, what kind of God would he be? Would he even be worth worshiping? Oh, God works in mysterious ways. Yeah, right. God wants you to know him. He is not hiding from you. He is not hard to get to know. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says this, Since the creation of the world, the Lord's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his deity keep on being clearly seen by everyone. Continuous action. Being understood even through what has been made as reflected in nature so that all mankind is without excuse in knowing of the existence of the Lord. God doesn't work in mysterious ways. He works in completely predictable ways. The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says, I, the Apostle Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised from the dead, the resurrection, on the third day according to to the Old Testament scriptures. Point six, God's enemy, Satan, does not want you to get to know God. Satan does everything he can to keep you ignorant about God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel, so they may not see the glory of the Christ, the Jewish Messiah who is the exact reflection, the exact same in essence as God the Father. Are you aware of the way Satan is lying to you about the Lord? You know, people come to Barah Ministries, they really like it, and they say, hey man, I'm coming back, and then they don't. Well, why is that? Because Satan gets in the way of them coming back. Satan distracts them with everything that will keep them from coming and getting the antidote For his poison. That's why. Now, if you reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll live with Satan for all eternity. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 says this And the devil who deceived unbelievers was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, the counterfeit trinity, Satan, the beast, and the false prophet, who will become obvious later in human history. And all of them 
will be tormented day and night forever and ever in a literal place called the lake of fire. You do not want to live for all eternity in the lake of fire. And you as believers in Christ would never want anyone who's important to you to live there. And as a matter of fact, you wouldn't want people who aren't important to you to live there. Point seven, you owe God a hearing. Since God created you, at least you need to consider his salvation offer. He has placed a desire inside of you to know him. He has sent messages from the outside so you can know him. He has you surrounded. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says this, The Lord made everything appropriate in its time, and he has also set a desire for a knowledge of eternity in everyone's heart. There's nobody that comes to this earth who doesn't get the opportunity to know God. So, do you spend any of your time getting to know the Lord? There's nothing more important for you in this life than a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, Whosoever accepts a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, to them the Lord gives the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus' name. As believers in Christ, we are children of God. What an amazing thing. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Believe in who? Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life right at that moment, not as a future event. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. So consider these things and get to know the Lord today. Do it now. There is absolutely no time to waste. Well, let's close with music. Quite often our lives are filled with regret. We look back in the past that we cannot change and wish we could. Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, remind us how the Lord handles things. It says this, The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Well, here's flame to remind us to forget the past and to just start over every morning. And this is dedicated to our good buddy up in Michigan, Jason Knack, who asked us to play this song. Start over with flame. Everybody's got a blank page, a story they're writing today, a wall that they're climbing. You can carry the past on your shoulders. You can start over regrets No matter what you've gone through Jesus, he gave it all to save you He carried the cross on his shoulders So you can start over Don't let your heart be troubled Don't be afraid To the broken hearted 
Their wishes they never been born, never been torn, never sinned, never disobeyed. I know you think there's no hope, no, but that ain't true. Jesus saves. I know you feel a regret, like I brought this all on myself, like I messed it up big time, and this time I don't deserve God's help. Thinking, how can God forgive me? After knowing what I hid, can he? After knowing that I hid from him and I stayed away and backslid. Listen, Jesus came for the sick. So true. Jesus came for the weak. Amen. Jesus came to give good news and to set the captives free. Amen. Listen, Jesus came for the poor. Amen. Jesus came with the keys. Amen. Jesus came to remove the chains so from the prisoners. Everybody's got a in the ocean floor. Run to his arms like an open door. God the Father sent the sons so of men can come and be free and gotta run no more. Come to me, all who are weary. With heavy burdens, I'll give you rest. Separating you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. Thrown in a sea of forgetfulness. What sin? What offense? And when them waves come crashing in, I'll calm the winds in your defense. So whatever it is that you've done, he put that punishment on his son. You'll never come under his condemnation, condescending and Satan and his accusations. So dry your eyes, lift up your head. Instead, took our place and now we embrace a clean slate with the eyes of faith. We know unfailing love, unfailing love. Everybody's it's not too late, How about now? Awesome. I said I like that song. And uh, even though it's rap, <laughs> which is not real music. All right. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for the chance to share the good news about your son's salvation offer to the people we love and to the people we don't. And as we evangelize, thank you for helping us season the message in a way that speaks to each person individually. And thank you for the open doors you provide out of your concern that no one spend eternity in the lake of fire. As we go forth into the week, open our spiritual eyes to the opportunities you provide. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Hey, I wanted to tell you something, by the way. So... Um, there is a friend of mine who lives near a church. And so she was in a store. And one of the people in the church just got into a casual conversation with her and said, 
hey, if you ever want to, you should come and visit our cult. Uh, I'm in a church, and it's a cult. And you should come and visit our cult. And so she told me about the church. I checked it out. And it is a legitimately amazing church. But that was his way of evangelizing. And it was a uniquely striking impression that he was calling his church a cult, but it really isn't. Pretty cool. And so what was he doing? He was illustrating exactly what we were talking about in today's lesson, which was he was evangelizing in his own personality, and his own style, and unearthing a treasure for people. So, food for thought. So, right after this, we'll be discussing the lesson, and we'll have the prayer circle. You can join us live or on Zoom immediately following the lesson. If you've got biblical questions, ask the pastor, pastor at baraministries.com. I had a great question this week. How come we don't hear much about Jesus Christ as a young child? And so I answered that question, and I thought it was a really excellent question. Got biblical questions? Ask the pastor, pastor at baraministries.com. Keep on studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.